0: your Bibles we're going back to book of Genesis and uh, we're going to go back to uh, Genesis chapter 28 if you need a, a Bible we got some over there on the side and we're going to do the whole chapter again today otherwise we'll be in Genesis a very long time. <laughs> So, uh, Genesis 28, uh, we're continuing on with the story of Jacob, Esau, and Isaac, and uh, that whole messed up clan of people, and uh, we're going to see how God just continues to work uh, in and through them, and how it relates to us in our lives. So if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in verse 1, chapter 28. So Isaac called for Jacob, and blessed him, and commanded him. Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May He give you and your descendants the blessings given to Abraham, so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Paddam Aram to Laban, the son of Bethany, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he had blessed him, he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Pat and Aaron. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mathalah the sister of Nebaioth, and the daughter of, Ishmael's, or, uh, daughter of Ishmael's son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he had reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of Jacob. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and my clothing to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a tenth. The word of the Lord. All right, you guys can take a seat. Well, you may not know who Robert Frost is but you've probably heard one or two uh, lines from one of his favorite or fam- famous poems. Let me read to you uh, the first and the last stanza of this poem: Two roads diverge in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth." I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages hence. Two roads diverge in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. See, early on in the book of Genesis, we see two diverging paths uh, very quickly in Genesis chapter 3. It's been described in a bunch of different ways, but one of the ways that we've been talking about it is the seed of the woman, or the offspring of the woman, Versus the seed or offspring of Satan, the serpent. And these two diverging paths are getting wider and wider and wider as time goes on. And stories are being written. Lives are being lived out. On the one hand, you have a bunch of people that are messed up and yet saved by God's grace and are continuing to follow him, even though they are fallen and still sinners. On the other hand, you have a messed up group of people as well who continue to reject God and his promises and live defiant unto God. So you have these two groups of people who are on opposite trajectories going as far apart as each other as possible. And Jacob and Esau represent these two different paths. We started looking at that last week when we talked about God's sovereign purpose in election. How God chose one and not the other. And therefore, these two brothers were on radically different paths. But this morning, as we look at Genesis chapter 28, we're going to see that because God Almighty continues to carry out his plan of redemption, that you and I should try to get in line with that plan. So we're going to again look at this topic of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Right? Sometimes we try to err on one side versus the other. For example, if God's sovereign, then why should I try to do anything? Right? Because it's just going to happen anyways. And yet, the Bible doesn't let us go there. The Bible says God is sovereign, and yet, you and I have responsibility every day that we wake up and every moment that we live. And so, we're going to take a look at this story here in Genesis 28. And it's really a story, again that you and I are caught up in. Remember that. This is not some old, dry history story or history lesson. This is a part of your history. This is a part of your faith family, the family that you have been saved into if you are a Christian. And so this is your family heritage, your family history, my family heritage as well. And so we're going to look at these two diverging roads At first here in the text. As we began our service this morning, we looked at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Let me read them again for us. Jesus said this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only you find it. Just like Robert Frost's poem here, there's two diverging paths. And Robert Frost said, the one that less traveled made all the difference. Very similar here to Jesus' words. That wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow, the one that leads to life. So through these two lives, of these twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, we see... A continuation of this very important theme that's been started way back in Genesis chapter 3. And it's going to play a big role as you go through the whole of the Bible story. It keeps developing and growing because remember, the Bible is one unified story. It's not these individual stories in their own individual silos. It is one grand story that you and I are caught up in that's being written still, even though the Bible's not still being written. Last week, Pastor Santa opened up a very important chapter, uh, probably one of the more important chapters in Genesis, talking about the idea of election and God's sovereign plan for election. And even though everybody in that story was messed up as could be, right? everybody was deceiving the next person until that next person was deceiving everybody else, even though all that deception was going on, God was still carrying out his plan to perfection. Santo reminded us that God was continuing to carry out his sovereign plan of redemption through his chosen Savior. And this continues here in Genesis chapter 28. It's no different. First, we're going to look at that here in verses 1 through 9. We're going to tease out a little bit of this theme of two diverging paths. So after stealing the blessing through deception, Jacob has to flee. His brother is ticked to him, right? His brother wants revenge. His brother wants to kill him. And so again, Rebekah is conniving and Rebekah is trying to get Isaac to send her son away because she doesn't want to see something happen to her son. Isaac's instructions were uh, in verse one, you must not take a wife from a Canaanite woman. And so Rebecca is saying, look, send him off to go find a wife, but he can't find a wife here. Now, why can't it be a Canaanite woman? Well, remember again, this is not something where God is being racist toward another race, but this is an issue of holiness. All throughout the Old Testament, the issue of holiness comes up again and again and again. God's people are to be separate, are to be set apart from the rest of the world, just like you and I are called to be holy as God is holy the way that holiness was expressed in the Old Testament time was that they would be separate from the other peoples of the world. And so, for Jacob, he was to find a wife that was not a Canaanite woman. And it's interesting, with the choice of a wife, both with Jacob and Esau, we see these two diverging paths get clearer and clearer. Let's see what I mean by that here in the text. See, Jacob seems to have recovered some from his scandalous deception for a time. It's kind of like he's hit the reset button, and he said, Okay, I screwed up in the past. I'm sorry about that, God. But let's hit that reset button, and let's keep walking by faith. Okay? It seems like he is kind of coming to his senses spiritually and wanting to follow God Almighty. And the path of God Almighty here is taken before him to say he needs to find a wife that is in keeping with what God has already revealed to him. So he wants to live out that righteous heritage that he has been given. But on the other hand, we have Esau, his brother. Esau has already made a bunch of bad decisions, but continues to make those bad decisions in being defiant in choosing another wife on top of the two wives that he already has. And so he says, okay, I see that a Canaanite wife is not going to please my parents, but maybe an Ishmael-like wife will please my parents But that doesn't make any sense in the story of the Bible. It's still the same thing. It's a wife from a a clan, a tribe of people that is not pleasing to God. We remember the story of Ishmael from earlier. So instead of coming to his senses and repenting of his sin, he chooses to go down that path further of destruction. He goes down that wide road that the whole world, it seems like, is traveling down. And he is continuing to make those bad decisions one after another and stepping away from God and his plan for him. So these two brothers continue in opposite trajectories, caught up in the cosmic struggle between good and evil with an ever widening gap between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. This will continue on throughout the rest of Genesis and throughout the rest of the Bible story you know, though I don't think it's the main point of this passage, I do think there is a warning here for you and I. And what I mean by that is that there is a choice that you and I must face between the two diverging paths that we've been talking about. If we are in Christ, if we have repented of our sins and put our faith in him, then we are the seed of the woman. We are the offspring of Eve by faith. We are in this place just like Jacob, but just like Jacob, You and I have a choice each and every day as we wake up, whether we are going to choose to follow God and follow his ways and walk in his paths and stay on that straight and narrow road or the opposite. Go down the wide path of Esau and those that came after him. Obviously, God is sovereign and he is directing and guiding our lives. But that doesn't mean that you and I still don't have to make that choice. We do. We have to make that choice. That's why we plead with God daily for his wisdom that you and I might walk down that narrow path now and for the rest of our lives. And our choice, as the poem says, will make all the difference. Right? Our choices matter in this life. Nowhere in the Bible will you see uh, God saying your choices don't matter because your choices do matter. They mattered for Jacob and Esau. Well, let's turn our attention now to to verses 10 through 22, where Jacob had an important dream. This is uh, usually called Jacob's ladder or Jacob's stairway to heaven. And we're going to see here in verses 10 through 22 about God's plan of redemption uh, carried out even to the next step. So he had been sent off uh, by his father. Jacob begins the journey down to see his uncle Laban, Taos, and to find a wife. And in the middle of the journey, he stops for a good night's sleep. We don't know where he stopped. It just says he stopped at a certain place. And he stops for a good night's sleep. For some reason, he finds a rock and makes it a pillow. I don't know how that's comfortable, but he, he, he finds a rock he sleeps there. And in this sleep, he has a dream. In the dream, he sees a ladder or a stairway to heaven. And going up and down the stairway are angels of God. And before we read his words here, it's important to note the contrast of something that happened earlier in the book of Genesis. Remember back to the Tower of Babel. What was going on in the Tower of Babel? People were building a tower trying to get to God. Out of fear and out of pride, they started building this tower, trying to make a stairway up to God. But notice the difference here, as one person puts it. Unlike the Babel Tower, Jacob's stairway is not a product of human delusion of grandeur. It is a, by, it is a way by which God will make himself known to Jacob. See, the big difference here is that in Babel, they tried man pridefully tried to go up to God. And yet in this story, God is condescending to his people. He is coming down, as it were. He is moving, taking steps towards sinful man. He's initiating to man. See, Jacob is on the run for his life and trying to find a wife. And yet as he's on the run, God runs into him, not the other way around. You know, some people talk about how Jacob ran into God, and that's true in a sense, but really what happened was God ran into Jacob and stopped him in his tracks in this dream. Maybe you can relate. Maybe there's a time you remember that God stopped you in your tracks. He found you. Obviously, that's true if you're a Christian, because at some point, God stopped you on your your, uh, fleeing from him as fast and as far as possible from him and made you turn around. But listen here as God speaks to Jacob, verse 13. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and of the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south, and in you and your offspring, or sorry, in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Now for Jacob, he should remember these words. It should jog his memory, right? Because as a follower of God, he remembers what happened to his grandfather, Abraham. For both in God's word here in verses 13 through 15, and then Isaac's blessing in verses 3 and 4, the author is making a clear connection back to the promises God made in Abraham, or to Abraham, back in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. First here we see in Isaac's blessing that before sending off Jacob to find a wife, he makes this important connection. What are the things he asked God to do? Well, look at verse 3. Make you fruitful and multiply you, which otherwise means a people, right? And then also in verse 4, may it give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring, which is a land. And so we've been already talking about this for a while now with the promise that God gave to Abraham was a people and a land. And now he's bringing that back up. May God give you a people and a land, so Isaac is reminding Jacob that he is a part of this special covenantal relationship that God has already had with his forefathers, with his grandfather and his father. And now it comes to him. And so in some very real sense, when God made that promise to Abraham a long time ago, he was thinking about Jacob. And Jacob is being reminded of this from his father. See, Isaac Despite all of his faults and his failures and his deception from previous time, he wants his son to know the promises of God are for him. He says, son, I want you to believe that these promises that God has given me and God has given your grandfather are for you also. He's passing it on to the next generation that they might know God and live for him in their own generation. But also we see more importantly here in verses 13 through 15, God himself makes this connection. He too reassures Jacob that he will have a people and a land. And this language that God gives is almost verbatim to what he promised back in Genesis chapter 15 and 17. And then also back in chapter 12. See, the God of Abraham is also the God of Jacob it's important for us to see this continuance here, right? This is not a, a break in some two disconnected stories. This is one overarching story that God is writing, that you and I are a part of way down the line, yes, but right now we're talking about Jacob and where he fits in that story. And so God gives Jacob the deceiver these promises that he will give him a people and a land And then also in verse 15, that he will be with Jacob. God himself, Emmanuel, God in the flesh will be there for him all the way to the end. We've already seen in Genesis, and we'll see plenty of times again, the Bible gives reminders a lot. It gives reminders of who we are in Christ. It gives reminders of what God has done in the past as you read the Old Testament, you can't escape that fact. Uh, Time and time again, whenever there's an important event or something that's coming down the pike, what do they do? They look back. What did God do in the past? But why is that so important? It's so important because it affects your decision and your attitude now in the present. Why do we need to be reminded of our faith family's history? Well, it's important because when we face similar trials, when we face similar uh, turning points in our life, when something major is coming down the road, we need to remember God's goodness. We need to remember God's uh, deliverance to our faith family. We need to remember the way that he showed up, the way that he provided, because that helps us to believe that he's going to do it in the present. God remains God no matter what I am facing just like in this new chapter of Jacob's life. But after this amazing dream where God speaks to Jacob, he he wakes up and he realizes what has happened. And he responds with something that's very normal, right? A mix of fear and awe and wonder, right? He just experienced God in a dream. And so he takes his stone pillow and he makes a monument or a marker To remember what God has done. See, he doesn't want to forget what God has done. And so he makes a monument, a marker. And he calls that place Bethel, which means the house of God. Bethel. Bethel will serve as a reminder in the future, first of all, to Jacob. Because later on, I think it's something like 20 years later, Jacob will return back home. 20 years after that. And how, how does he go back home in faith, believing that God is who he says he's going to be? He remembers what God did at Bethel. This stone of remembrance is a part of that. But Bethel would also serve as a reminder of, for God's people because it would, it would serve as a place of worship. It would be a place where God's people would gather, where a temple would be built, and where they would worship time and time again. See, that place where God did something special, not just serve Jacob, but generations after Jacob, even for you and I, in a way. And not only does Jacob make this pillar of remembrance, but he also makes a vow to God in verses 20 through 22. And again, it seems that Jacob is ready to trust the Lord. Regardless of whatever happened in his his near past, he is ready to say, okay, God, I might have messed up, but I'm ready to step out of faith again. Let's take this next step together. So he pledges his allegiance to God, and he gives him his all. See, Jacob's life is complicated, just like yours and mine. Remember, Pastor Santos said that as he reflects on his life later on, we see in the Bible that he says his days were short and evil. That's not to say that God didn't choose him, that God didn't save him, or even that God didn't use him. Because clearly, we see that in the Bible. God did great things in his life, but when he reflects on his life, he realizes this was no Hallmark movie. He had real struggles. He wasn't a one-dimensional character. He was a multi-dimensional, multi character living with contradictions and all kinds of mess inside of him. But he realized that he was God's, that God had saved him, that God had set him on this course, on his path. And I think that's important for us to remember, because we aren't one-dimensional characters in God's story. We have complicated lives. We have complicated pasts. We're going to have complicated probably futures. And yet God is choosing to work through each and every one of us in our messed up story to make something beautiful. And that way we can look back on our lives just like Jacob and say, what a great God that we serve. Even though we experience a lot of pain and struggle. See, many times in our study of Genesis, we have said that we are, too, also a part of this special covenant relationship with God. Through faith in Christ, we are participants in this great blessing to Abraham and his family. You and I didn't earn it. There was nothing that we ever could do in order to get into this special relationship of promise. It was a gift of God's grace and continues to be. But there's also another connection here to Christ that I want to bring out here as we close. And it's really that as Jacob has this dream about the stairway to heaven, we see Christ in a unique way in the Old Testament. See, in contrast to the Tower of Babel, as we said earlier, where prideful man tries to get up to God, here we see this ladder where God is reaching down towards man. The stairway or the ladder is a go-between, a connection point, a conduit between God and his people. How does this point to Christ? Well, in reality, the only ladder, the only stairway, the only go-between between us and God is Jesus. See, Jesus is Jacob's ladder. He's the only way to God, the only mediator between God and man. Without him, we have none of the promises of Abraham. We have none of the promises of God in the Bible. We've got nothing. Many have pointed to the fact that in the New Testament, John's gospel, it seems to make an allusion to this very event. As Jesus is telling Nathanael... And the band of disciples, that they're going to experience great things as they follow him. John 1.51 says this. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Sound familiar? The point here is that Jesus is our way to God. Jesus is our stairway to heaven. And just like Jesus was with Jacob, God was with him, Jesus is with you and I. We're a part of this story. This is our faith family and their history. And our story that's being written now is a part of that greater story. Jesus is with us just like he promised to Jacob. And God did not forsake Jacob. God will not forsake Jacob in the story. Nor does he forsake you and I because he forsook his son on the cross. That's the only way that you and I are get to be a part of this faith family. So we see here just another picture, just another chapter in the story of redemption. And this story is being written still even now in our lives. In the, the nitty-gritty, and the mundane, and the exciting and the unimportant, God is writing this story in you and me. And He's continuing to carry out His purposes of redemption all the way through until the end. And He will do it, and He is faithful to do it. But as we uh, were reminded in the beginning that you and I have a part to play. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility, just like Jacob and Esau, to make a choice to either get in line with what God is doing or to further take steps away from Him. And that choice, we know, will make all the difference. So that's why it's so important for us to have those weekly reminders, daily reminders of God's Word and God's story that we might remember His faithfulness and continue to walk faithfully with Him until He takes us home. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Jacob. And uh, Lord, I know that sometimes reading the Old Testament, uh, we can just get lost in the details. And uh, sometimes it may even seem boring to us. I know I've been there in my life. And yet, uh, we pray for the grace to see your hand guiding the story of redemption. We pray for your grace to understand that this is... Uh, in all reality, very exciting stuff that you and I, that we, sorry, we get to be a part of this story. God, we pray you would please watch over us as we uh, go about our week. We pray that you would help us to walk down that narrow road. There are so many places for us to get tripped up. There are so many uh, ways for us to get off that path. And so we pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on you. We thank you for this opportunity to have partake of the Lord's Supper so that we can fix our eyes on you. We pray that you would just guide our celebration now in Jesus' name.